You're listening to Don't Tell the Easter Bunny, a podcast celebrating the unsung festivities that won't be found on any normal calendar. This show is presented every two weeks by a mother-son duo who like to keep it safe for work. I'm Bryce, the son. I'm Misty, the mom. And you can reach out to us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny for Instagram and Facebook and at Don't Tell the EAS1 for Twitter. Or you can email us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny at gmail.com. No special characters are speaking. Okay, let's hop to it. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Bryce and Misty post recording. As a bit of a disclaimer for this episode and the one that is following after and coming out on the same day is that we're kind of playing around with reformatting a few things when it comes to recording the show. So actually, this is going to be a part A and a part B kind of double episode. (laughs) If you are listening to part A, please go and continue into part B, which will be out as well. And then if this is part B, please go back to part A, either when you're done with this or, you know, start from the very beginning. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Tell the Easter Bunny. We're starting off July this time, and it is part one. Okay, so I have two days. I have Compliment Your Mirror Day, July 2nd, and I have International Cherry Pit Spitting Competition Day, July 6th. That's a mouthful. Cherry, (laughs) was it Cherry... Pit international, spitting. gotta get the international okay, okay. in there. International Cherry Pit Spitting Competition Day. That's way too many syllables. Yeah, I, I think so too. But it was, it's a fun holiday. Yeah, well, we'll hear more about that later. And we'll be hearing that after my days, which are World UFO Day on July 2nd, as well as Sidewalk Egg Frying Day on July 4th. Ooh, I like the idea of the World UFO Day. Do you have any conspiracies? Um, you know, there are a few conspiracies that are actually going to be talked about in my little notes that I got going on. And I, I know you enjoy that oh, immensely. Yeah. That'll be fun. I have a little bit creepiness when we get to the compliment your mirror day. All right. So normally I think I start off because usually it's the day I pick is like the first of the month. But I think you have, well, we have the same day. Yes, so we're starting off with July 2nd for both of us. Yes, but uh, for a change, why don't you go first? Okay, then let's go for it. All right. I'll take the spotlight this time. (laughs) So like I was saying, we are going to be talking about World UFO Day, which takes place on July 2nd. And I think this is one of the better times to actually be talking about UFOs, flying saucers, and all that. Because this past June, there's been a really curious amount of coverage placed on the government and the military in regards to unidentified flying objects. So it really kind of started off with the New York Times reporting at the end of May that multiple military staff members had declared that they had seen UFOs through radar or visual confirmation in recent years. So a typical report that was in the New York Times would be about the military staff seeing an appearance of an object that had no visible exhaust trail nor engine parts, moved at a dazzling speed, 
and rotated on its axis. Military staff mentioned the season of these objects wherein they showed, oma- showed up almost every day between mid-2014 until early 2015, and several cases also came complete with video footage. Like if you actually go to the New York Times article, they have a video from 2008, I think it is, it might be 2004, off of San Diego, there are two fighter jets pilots, and they are going and trailing this one object that looks like a spinning top that's just flying through the air really quickly, and they're having a discussion about what it is. So did they, I mean, has anyone disproven that it isn't, like, photoshopped or anything like that? So this we'll be getting into later because a lot of the information that we're kind of receiving now is coming out of a study that was conducted by the U.S. government in... It's between 2007 to 2012. So, of course, that video would be fitting in with it. And they never found anything, but it is interesting because there are several cases that could not be identified with any specific phenomenon. And that goes a little bit more into another study that was conducted by the U.S. government called Operation Blue Book. But for now, with, you know, sticking back with after the New York Times came out with this report, um, more news media was putting coverage onto these uh, military staff reports coming out, even to the point of asking President Donald Trump what he thought about it. And uh, the president had said he had been briefed on these UFO incidents, is, but He actually didn't really believe too much in them. He believes that the military were definitely seeing something, but they were most likely not any kind of aircraft, and especially not related to extraterrestrial beings, you know? I think that comes up every presidency. They kind of talk about, like, the, quote, secrets that the presidents, you know, pass on to the next president. Yeah. And, um... They say that the, you know, the idea of Roswell or or just aliens in general kind of comes up every single time. And they usually ask, you know, publicly the presidents, but I don't think anyone's really said that they totally agree or believe in it. Yeah. But what is interesting is that so after Trump was asked that in the earlier part of June, um, in the later part of June, there's actually been a lot of senators who have been uh, talking about they've been getting briefed on these same exact incidences and they're putting a little bit more interest into it again they don't think it's anything to do with aliens but they claim that you know they want to go ahead and look into this information because they want national security and individual security to be okay because of course like multiple people think that perhaps there is a lot of fatigue going on with pilots and that they are starting to hallucinate these objects in the sky or misinterpreting other phenomenon like lightning as being flashes of light from some kind of a spacecraft. But that's kind of like what the senators are saying. They're like, we need to focus on this research because it might be affecting the mental health of our, or they might be symptoms of mental health issues going on with our soldiers right now. 
So in talking about all of this that's going on, World UFO Day is officially on July 2nd because it is the date of the Roswell incident in 1947. Of course, it being one of the most well-known cases of secrecy, conspiracy, aliens, flying saucers, and all that. A Roswell incident, of course, has been debunked by the government and many other um, institutions, third parties, saying that it is specifically related to some kind of a project where they were sending up air balloons into the sky so they could go ahead and read if any nuclear type of weapon had been used. Um, essentially, the technology inside of these balloons, called Project Mogul, could go ahead and read like from miles and miles and miles away if there were atmospheric changes to kind of show like, oh, a giant missile is coming our way. And supposedly, this balloon happened to crash, and that is what the Roswell incident turned out to be. So World UFOs Day is to proclaim declassification of different documents by the U.S. government and governments all across the world. You know, there are other organizations that have other studies done by different governments all across the earth. World UFO Day and their committee, their, you know, the hosts of this day is meant specifically to declassify UFOs, flying saucers, and aliens, but also other information in general. So Wikipedia defines declassification as a process of documents that used to be classified as secret, ceasing to be so restricted, often under the principle of freedom of information. So, you know, in the U.S., we have uh, the Freedom of Information Act, which was put into law in, I think it's 1962, it might be 1972. I'll get back to that later. <laughs> but either way, what's interesting is that the Freedom of Information Act permits U.S. citizens to request information from any federal institution for documents related to their search, as long as it doesn't compromise certain exemptions made to protecting national security and an individual's rights or identity. Automatic declassification of documents in the U.S. will occur once 25 years have elapsed from the document's publication, so long as it is also not compromising on those exemptions, and as long as the nation archives deem it historically relevant. I just kind of wanted to talk about different examples of declassification specifically related to UFO uh, incidences, reports, sightings, all this, uh, testimonies that were done by the U.S. government, because that is, you know, the main priority of World UFO Day. So the first one that really gained ground as a research study was Project or Operation Blue Book. Have you heard of that before, Mom? I haven't heard of that one. I remember hearing about it, like, you know, in History Channel documentaries and whenever they would bring up aliens and UFOs, this would be something they would talk about a lot because it is a major study that was conducted by the U.S. government's Air Force between 1952 and 1969. And it's interesting because... Of course, with a declassified document, it appears on a lot of 
government-related websites, and one of them being the National Archives, which notes the records include approximately two cubic feet of unarranged project or administrative files, 37 cubic feet of case files in which individual sightings are arranged chronologically, and three cubic feet of records relating to the Office of Special Investigations, portions of which are arranged chronologically and uh, by overseas command. But a cubic foot of records comprises about 2,000 pages. That's a lot of paper, especially when you're considering 37 cubic feet in one instance. So these pages and papers, there are 12,618 reports that were collected in this almost two-decade span of time, and 701 of them could not be identified with anything natural or human-made. And were these all based on supposedly the Roswell incident or just incidents all over the world? These incidents is, I don't know if they were exactly all over the world, but they were definitely within the U.S. nation. So they would be related to military coming and reporting. I believe they also reached out to also civilians. And so there were a lot of reports just in general about seeing alien, or not aliens, but, you know, seeing flying saucers. Um, continuing with the National Archives quote that I got here, since Project Blue was closed, nothing has happened to indicate that the Air Force ought to resume investigating UFOs. Because of the considerable cost of the Air Force in the past, and the tight funding of Air Force needs today, there is no likelihood the Air Force will become involved with UFO investigation again. So that was 1969, right? And now we're in 2019, and we're still talking about UFOs, research studies conducted by U.S. government. But even back in, like I was saying, 2007, there was the inauguration of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification program which ran from 2007 to 2012 and it did the same exact thing as operation blue book where it collected different stories and witnesses on witness reports about ufos its official capacity became limited after 2012 and as far as we know was still functioning up until 2017 when it was finally announced to the public but there also is a possibility that's still going on. It seems like there's always a little little sliver of some kind of a government study still trying to collect information about UFOs. The reason why the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program is also pertinent to what's going on today is that the information in the announcement about its existence was publicly released at the end of 2017. Since then, news organizations have been trying to figure out exactly what it was and what it was and what kind of results it was getting. And it is the catalyst to what we're seeing now in June. As a response to the late program's public presentation, The website Politico asked to interview with the Navy and determined the following. So I'm quoting from the body of the article 
which goes, the U.S. Navy is drafting new guidelines for pilots and other personnel to report encounters with the unidentified aircraft. Continuing on with the quote, it goes into that there is a stigma associated with military staff personnel trying to kind of talk about these weird things that they've been seeing because it's, as, as the quote goes, a significant new step in creating a formal process to collect and analyze the unexplained sightings and destigmatize them. The previously unreported move is in response to a series of sightings of unknown, highly advanced aircraft intruding on Navy strike groups and other sensitive military formations and facilities. The service says, To be clear, the Navy isn't endorsing the idea that its sailors have encountered alien spacecraft but it is acknowledging there have been enough strange aerial sightings by credible and highly trained military personnel that they need to be recorded in the official record and studied, rather than dismissed as some cookie phenomena from the realm of science fiction. And that was back in April when this report was released. So this interview came back in April, and then... It's just kind of, again, been the string of different news organizations coming to the government and different federal branches to talk about this new interest or reinterest in UFOs. So I'm going to ask you, Mom, do you think UFOs are real? I love the idea of the conspiracies and things like that. And I think that's probably more what I definitely think, you know, that if there is something, it's probably made up, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you were just ask me personally, do I believe that aliens and UFOs are real? No. But I, that doesn't mean that there isn't something out there that's been made by man. Yeah. Well, I definitely think UFOs <laughs> are real, but I don't think, like the president, I don't think they have an extraterrestrial kind of connection with them. I think they are definitely secret aircraft that have been documented. So, like, going through all these notes, I started trying to look up, you know, different secret aircraft that have been declassified over time to see if they actually had any connection or report with UFO sightings. And a lot of the time, these secret UFO ships happen to be not just enemy ships, you know, like how um, the government currently is trying to look and see if, for national security reasons, if there's anything there. But it typically turns out to be possibly our own craft that they don't want to be talking about. And I found a specific facility in Burbank, California, that's owned by Lockheed Martin, where a lot of secret planes have been manufactured and it's called skunk works <laughs> apparently the person i think his name is kelly it's either his last or first name but kelly said that he wanted to be working on new experimental aircraft with smaller uh team members who were very good engineers and designers and he just wanted to make the best of the best experimental aircraft. So Lockheed Martin said, okay, you can do your little plan, but you're going to be doing it in a circus tent. <laughs> and so they were placed into a very hot and smelly circus tent. 
And apparently one of the staff members used to read this comic where they would bring up a certain location where skunks would make beverages that were really <laughs> stinky, you know? And it was called Skunk Works. So that's what the facility was eventually named <laughs> after. And they got like a really cute skunk. It's not quite Pepe Le Pew, but you know, it's kind of got that same sassiness to it. <laughs> Very fitting for them. I know, right? And Skunk Works ended up designing important stealth airplanes for reconnaissance, reconnaissance and targeted attack systems. Some of the planes you probably actually know, if you think about, ooh, stealthy planes, they're black and angular and all that, that's what the Skunk Works was producing. They produced Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk, which was a ground attack stealth plane that kind of, in my mind, I envision it as looking like a sparrow. It's got very close uh, wings. It kind of looks like a big triangle. And again, it's very angular. Well, the stealth fighters are originally designed to basically be invisible so they could not be seen by radar. Right. And that was the shape and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to kind of mention when you were done was the the UFOs sightings and stuff. You know, if I saw something that flew over me and I knew I was near a base, but still something like that flying over that looks like something totally black condor or something like that, you know, then I probably would like question it too. What am I seeing? But once again, because I just think the government designed so many things that we aren't aware of, you know, that I guess to me, I wouldn't think anything of it because when I've been in uh, Vegas, there are so many weird things I've seen in that yeah. sky. And I'm not going to go up to someone and say, I think I just saw a UFO, you know, because I just know about all the testing that they do around there. And I could only imagine if you live there, like what you would see. But also in Burbank, you know, because it, it really is known for a lot of um, the testing out there, too. And, yeah, um, you know, and it, like even when they first did supersonic jets and tested them could you imagine what people thought of the sonic booms you know oh man and the like... explosions that they would have heard or or just even with you with san diego um last year the picture that you sent me of this weird thing going by and it was just a regular space launch yeah it was <laughs> what was it spacex or something yeah, like that one and of the them. rocket was going and it's like okay there's a giant missile looking like thing coming our way <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't look quite right. And it didn't look like the launches here in Florida, but that was because they said the tra- trajectory going out over the Pacific was so different. But yeah, I mean, it. It's, there were so many reports, you know, and people pulled over on the highway when that went by and thinking there were these weird things in the sky. And it was, and once again, maybe it's because we've grown up in Florida and we've just seen so many rockets and other things and we hear sonic booms all the time. I don't think about it, but... I, mean, I guess I could see where people and well, even what you sent me, if I didn't know that was a rocket, I would have been like, wow, that's a weird picture of something really weird yeah. in the sky. So There was actually when I was looking up for this episode and talking about what are phenomena associated with UFOs, you know, these secretive planes, um, you got ball lightning, things like that. But there was a case of, I think it was Norway. I want to say Norway. 
where uh, it's reported that a missile was just a little bit off on its like kind of telegraphy, you know, the way it basically finds its way to whatever destination it is. (laughs) It made this really freaky but very beautiful looking photo where you have like rays of white light coming out from a circular, you know, like in a radial direction. But right in the middle, there's a spiral of blue going through. And honestly, that looked UFO. (laughs) (laughs) It was very pretty. So it looked like UFO. Um, Going back to Skunk Works and some of the other secretive planes that they've done, they've also worked on Lockheed U-2, nicknamed the Dragon Lady. It was a reconnaissance gathering plane that could take photos from high altitudes. And I think the one that most people are familiar with, even just by looking at it, is the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird. Some fun facts to throw at you, because this is a very impressive jet. It is the fastest air-breathing jet that we know of. I don't know, there might be others going on right now in testing, but it reached a top speed of 2,200 miles per hour, which is higher than Mach 3. It is faster than any enemy missile at the time, which was around the 70s and the 80s. No, 60s and 70s, I believe it is. Um, But because it was faster than any missile, its job was to go into wherever it was going to be doing reconnaissance and would be taking photos from below. Now, its top speed was 2,200 miles, but it would not always be at that speed, right? Because it needs to be efficient and be able to reach its location and be able to take several photographs if needed. But if it were ever detected, and I read somewhere that it had been detected at least a thousand times, missiles would be sent up, and as soon as they saw the missiles were coming, they would just put it on full throttle and laugh as they were leaving everything behind them. (laughs) So I was finding in certain archived articles in 1980s where it was proven that secret experimental aircraft would be flown at night so they wouldn't be as readily seen by the American public. But of course, that kind of didn't really help out in certain circumstances. Um, There was still a lot of commercial flights that were flying at night and they could go ahead and see like a giant black object that was much higher than them. Um, Traditionally, commercial air flights would be, at this point in era, maybe about 20,000 feet versus like 30,000 feet nowadays. But the experimental aircraft could get as high as around 50,000. So they're like, there's a really big thing up there, and it's something I've never seen before when it comes to a jet. So... You know, there's that. And um, (laughs) I think this is pretty funny. So the reason why we kind of know that commercial flights and people with a number of pilots and other just civilians could see these planes, the CIA admits that high-altitude testing of the U-2 soon led to an unexpected side effect, a tremendous increase in reports of unidentified flying objects. (laughs) And so remember that I was talking about the Project Blue Book, right? Well, 
the CIA also admits that some of the cases, they say about like most half of the cases that were done in the Project Blue Book were actually because people had seen the flights of the U-2 by the CIA during this period. But when they were asked, the Air Force would go ahead and ask the CIA to help them out on this. And the CIA would, but they couldn't really explain like, hey, that's our own aircraft because they needed <laughs> to keep it secret. <laughs> um, there is still a lot of dispute actually to the claim of the CIA uh, different flight tests being part of the Project Blue Book. And the reason why is that the Project Blue Book had actually started several years before the U-2 was even around. So it's kind of like a lot of people are suggesting that the CIA is trying to cover up something else, maybe like real UFOs, <laughs> by just explaining it away as, oh yeah, it's our own aircraft. And probably the thing that is closest when it comes to U.S. government-funded projects related to UFOs is Project 1794. And it is what you are picturing if you are thinking of little green men and flying saucers. <laughs> it was commissioned by the United States government and with an unnamed Canadian manufacturer in the article I was reading. And it was ambitious. It was supposed to be able to hover to extreme heights of over 100,000 feet, reach speeds of Mach 4, which is more than the fastest jet that we just talked about, the Blackbird. And all this technology was also supposed to fit inside of a shell that looked exactly like what UFOlogists are looking for today. Something that is flattened with a brim saucer and a bulging centralized capsule. So Project 1794 was rejected after flights could only reach about five feet off the ground. <laughs> and the disappointing results of the flight, coupled with a large manufacturing cost, led to the demise of this aircraft's future. But Do then that would, not, that would not prove anyone who, quote, thought they saw that flying That's in true. the air. I mean, now that if pictures emerged, you know, that were either declassified or not declassified, but leaked then I guess they could think of it as that's what they see as crashed and that's just what they think UFOs look like, but they wouldn't have ever seen anything like that in the sky then. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to bring up the story. Do you remember when I was younger and for science fair, you helped me make a hovercraft? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it didn't hover five feet above, but it did get some good air. You yeah. know, it moved around, all yeah. that. We definitely were flying. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you actually do remember it. I remember not doing any of the work. <laughs> I remember just seeing you outside work on a giant, you know, like vacuum sealable <laughs> kind of thing in the yard. Yeah cutting the big wood circle but yeah that that looked like what people would typically think of a ufo yeah minus probably the top because we had to sit on it but and let me so. tell you it was fun and the kids <laughs> at my school really liked it we'll have to make another one <laughs> we could maybe yeah. when i have a kid we can do it <laughs> yeah we'll have to think of that so to kind of wrap up this whole world ufo day the world ufo day website 
tries to explain what you should do to celebrate, right? And uh, I thought it was really cute that they should say, you can celebrate by decorating frisbees up as flying saucers <laughs> and then like playing catch with them. <laughs> so that's what I suggest for this You could thing. launch it at night over someone's backyard. <laughs> you have to put lights on it too. Yeah. Maybe like, you know, little... Uh, army green men that you can do with parachutes you have them be able to expel from <laughs> the <laughs> saucer roswell is one of my bucket list things and uh last time i was out in vegas i don't think you were with me on that trip and um over henderson i believe it's henderson nevada where the hoover dam is and they've got <laughs> this little shop that's all, you know, based on the aliens and Roswell and Area 51 and stuff like that. And they have this big alien. You can take a picture outside and then post it on Instagram yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so the last time I was out there for a convention, wasn't, it was just a regular work convention, but it, we... Um, yeah, I'd heard of these Janet flights, and I think I've discussed that with you a little bit. And it, the, they were, I think, more declassified or really, really hidden, but now it's kind of out there and people know about it. And um, we're pretty sure that we saw some of them because they were supposed to be like white airplanes with red stripes and stuff, but that they ferry the um, with the civilian workers to the, the base, basically, to keep it as secretive as they can on the base. And um, so that was kind of interesting, but, you know, it's right out there in front of you. But I think a lot of the UFO stuff comes from the fact that there isn't the transparency, you know, and there is so much secrecy around it. And just like that, you know, just, you know, a long time ago, why couldn't you talk about that there was a service that took people to the base. I mean, that's not a big deal. You know, yeah. they've got to get the workers to the base. And if it's far enough away and, you know, they need to fly them, then that shouldn't be a secret thing out there, you know, basically. And I guess because there hasn't been transparency in the past when they are secretive, it just adds more of an allure to that, you know, not necessarily conspiracy, but mystery and just the fun to the mystery. I think that's what I like about, you know, the conspiracies is more the fun of it rather yeah. than, you know, really believing in the conspiracy. But, um, but like I said, when I was in Vegas, I mean, there were just some bizarre things in the sky, but I didn't think anything other than they're just probably testing out things. Yeah, you know? sure. So. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think it's fascinating, and they do bring up the fact that if aliens were really to exist and our government knows about it, the reason that they would keep it as a secret would be because of mass panic, which probably, yeah, <laughs> probably would happen. So, but it's just so much secrecy and everything, you don't know what to think, and I think that just adds to it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so we need to make a hovercraft again, but that's not going to be done by World UFO Day. No, but we can do the Frisbee. Yeah, we could do the Frisbee, and I guess we'll still be, we're actually going to be traveling to Canada here soon in a few days, but I guess we'll still be here in Florida for that. Yeah, July 2nd. Yeah, so we can go toss that around and make some people freak out thinking there's a UFO going by. I... I don't know how convincing we'll be <laughs> with these. 
<laughs> Put some tinfoil on it. <laughs> tinfoil. We can make tinfoil hats. See? That's another thing we could do on UFO Day. Make All right. tinfoil hats. Yep. That is the goal now. Yeah. Okay. So I have the next one. Okay. Yeah. And it's compliment your mirror day. Oh, so we're going to the cult, right? <laughs> yeah, but not quite yet. I mean, that's not the reason it was originally made. So. Okay. But yes, I do have a creepy story in my research that I found. Actually, I found a lot of creepy things because i um, kind of jumping ahead to here. But it seems like every story I found, whether it was good or creepy, bad, um, all centered around souls somehow. It didn't matter the culture uh race whatever it was all related to souls so I okay. that, was, that was very interesting but not necessarily all occult it wasn't all bad so, all right but, um okay so this is july 2nd so two days again like last time we're celebrating two days or two holidays on the same day i should say so um <laughs> i guess the funniest thing that i discovered when uh looking up the facts was there's actually a website called mirrorhistory.com. Okay. I don't know how they came about or why they came about, but boy, they sure had a lot of facts on mirrors. So They know their subject. Yeah. So that that made it kind of easy for me to find yeah. some of these. So, um, okay. So talking about the day first, it isn't really what you would think. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I get to look in the mirror and oh, look how pretty I am or this or that. Um, it actually is more kind of on these almost positive thinking seminars and things like that, where they tell you, you know, take a piece of paper and write 10 things that you really like about yourself and then maybe put it up on your mirror. Um, so every morning when you're brushing your teeth, you look at that and it reaffirms it. And, um, you know, they've, before you go out and do speeches or just, conquer the day they also say you know pick a pick a phrase and say it to yourself in the mirror because you know you're reaffirming it to yourself true so it really is about positivity and um more than like vainness or even looking at yourself it's just that more positive um thing about self-awareness and self-affirmation that's a nice way to actually look at this type of holiday. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, looking at just the title of Compliment Your Mirror Day, it, it isn't totally where your brain would go at all, yeah, no, I don't I think. I was definitely so. thinking of the vein. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it really is just complimenting you as yourself and your accomplishments and what you've done. So thinking about that... Um, there's different things that they've done w with mirrors on kind of that aspect or whatever. So there's actually a blog movement out there and group of bloggers that ha are doing mirror fasting. So let me guess. They are people who are going to go without looking at themselves for a certain amount of time. Exactly. Okay. And it's um, some of them are doing it for basically a year. And I don't still quite understand how they can do it. I mean, you know, they said that they can't avoid all the reflections out there anymore. Because yeah, because pretty much, you know, anywhere you go in a car, or a subway, uh, just anywhere, there's reflections anymore. It didn't, you know, it didn't used to be that way. We didn't have tons of buildings around and stuff. Is that but. the time when, do they just like go outside and as they're walking, they're like, oh, I can actually look at my hair and <laughs> yeah. juice it up. Well, see, that's the thing. They never really explained because I would think that 
Um, yeah, I go without makeup quite a bit, but most women, that's not the case. And um, it's just kind of like, okay, you have to do that. Guys would have to shave. And there's just things, you, you know, is there something in my teeth? I would have to keep asking you or someone, you know, if I couldn't look in a mirror. Um, so I just kind of found that interesting. And so they went to basically the experts on, you know, like vainness and over obsessing on your looks and stuff like that. And um, they, I didn't write down the statistic. It was some crazy amount that like women look in the mirror 83 times a day and men look at least 18 times a day and stuff like that. It was very bizarre. But they actually said that the mirror fasting could be doing the opposite because um, it's still focusing so much on looks or not looks. Okay, so it's not going to negate anything it's going to heighten right so it's uh, the the fact that the people that look way too much in are obsessed already sure and now it's an obsession the other way and so they said it's really not going to change people's perspective or give them a new lease on life or anything like that. So I found that extremely interesting. It's just a small group that was doing that. And they um, kind of going along with that. This is a myth that was debunked. Um, I Till I've researched this recently, I always assumed and thought, because I had heard this, but the Amish, I was always told the Amish don't have mirrors. Really? Because <laughs> they aren't supposed to be vain and all of that. And so um, one of the people reached out to an Amish friend and she said, well, yeah, we do have mirrors because, you know, the guys do have to shave and we do have to do our hair and things like that. But she said that we don't do it for vanity purposes. It's so, very practical yes. and utilitarian. Yeah, so it's functional, practical, and that's it. You know, you look at it maybe in the morning and then get at night for getting right or something but um but she said that yeah that's total myth that that culture doesn't have that and the reason i even found that was i thought okay well if i talk about the amish i'm going to find other cultures that maybe don't use mirrors you okay, know yeah. so i did research i couldn't the amish weren't even coming up because <laughs> i put in like cultures that don't use mirrors and nothing was coming up so i finally just put in are amish allowed to use mirrors or something like yeah. that but um it was kind of funny because i guess everyone uses a mirror and it may not be you know once again you've got the obsessed vain people but other people just use it for the practical purpose yeah but they also have done um, self-recognition uh, experiments with kids to see when they can recognize themselves in the mirror. And they did this across a bunch of cultures. And they're trying to say kind of third world cultures don't recognize themselves as much. Oh, and, boy. <laughs> but it was, it was such a stupid experiment. Because most experiments, they put like a red X on the kid's forehead yeah. and hope that they would see that in the mirror and then one it off of them realizing it was on them and it's like okay if someone just came up and marked a red x on my forehead i don't have to see it to go i want this thing off of me yeah or like why do you even want it off of you sometimes it's like okay it's there <laughs> so what and i mean i guess the whole idea was well if they went for the mirror and touched it then they wouldn't recognize it themselves but if they touched their own forehead they would recognize it and then uh, was it India? There was another culture they did, and it got hardly any of the kids' self-recognition. But they did it with post-it notes on their forehead. It's the same thing. If you come up and I'm a little kid and you stick a post-it note on my forehead, I'm probably going to rip it off no yeah. matter what. <laughs> with 
without looking at the mirror. Maybe so. we should be trying to do this a different way. Yeah, so it was a very, very weird recognition study. I mean, I think it's kind of cool to see, you know, if like a cat when they look at it, are they recognizing it's them? When when do kids actually recognize it's them? But Is there I just a think... specific time? I think I've heard about that like two years or three years old well so i the two three years we'll get into a little bit more because we're getting ahead of it but that might be i mean it could be because of the studies but it also could be because there were cultures that believe that babies up to two and three years old should not look in a mirror because their um, souls weren't fully developed and could be stolen by the mirror So, um, yeah, so like I said, it goes definitely back to souls and all these co- um, cultures and stuff. And guess you um, better have a soul instead of being <laughs> self-aware. <laughs> so it could possibly be that number stuck in your head because maybe it's something you've heard on that. Or it could just be because they, there has been a study saying it's more two, three years old. Mm-hmm. Where, I don't know. But I think nowadays, once again, because glass windows and other things that probably kids are exposed a lot earlier and probably realize a lot quicker than maybe in the past. Like, who is that outside? (laughs) Oh, wait, it's me inside. I mean, you hand a kid a phone, you know, a cell phone nowadays as early as probably two to show them maybe a cartoon or something, and they're going to see their face reflecting it. The same thing with the computers, you know, and um, with... I mean, I guess a lot of people still do Netflix on TVs and all, but I bet a lot of kids more are watching it on laptops, you know, in a doctor's office while they're waiting or something. They're going to see the reflections in that. So. But um, so I just thought those were some interesting studies because the whole blogger thing, it's like I don't understand how you can go about that anyway because of practicality. And right. then, you know, like they said, the experts said it just was not – you know, did, did not do what they wanted to, and then the self-recognition as well. But um, mirrors, they believe, have been around since 6,000 B.C., so uh, definitely have been out there for a long time. The modern mirrors though, that we think of probably started in either 16th um, century or in the 1800s. Okay. Uh, but the original 6,000 B.C., do you know how they probably made a mirror or what it was made out of? I Okay, I might be getting it confused with the more modern mirrors, but didn't they put some kind of like metal behind whatever the glossy surface is? And it was like a green color and it can... So that is definitely the more modern Okay, ones. okay. And even like, you know, the, the antiques that we have out in the living room that... Uh, big mirror that we have is from the 1800s when the new technique kind of mm-hmm. would have come into play. I mean, the so 16th century they had um, 16th century was the 16th century was tin mercury, so it was closer to what our modern ones were. But the true modern ones were 1835. Okay, and that's what you're kind of describing what okay. we think of. But now back in um, 6000 BC, they believed that it was probably water and vessels. Okay. Or um, polished stone. And a lot of times they used obsidian, you know, the, the black uh, from, stone. Yeah, yeah, from the lava, yeah. the overheated lava, um, or polished metals. But probably real early, the 6000 BC was more with the polished stone and the water and the vessels. So, um, so getting back to the 16th century, it was actually in Venice 
that um, the little bit more modern ones came about. And do you know why they, it would have been Venice? Uh, because there was a lot of travel. I don't know. <laughs> so it goes along with one of the islands that we visited while we were there. A Murano? Yeah, Murano. So the glass and the glass makers there. But in 1835, like I mentioned, a German inventor coated it with the silver. So that's kind of how you were talking about that's glass with this pressure like coated silver on the back. Okay, so it's silver that's on the back. Yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah. And um, so like, you know, our antique out there probably needs to be re-silverized because it's having those places kind of show up mm -hmm. and the old places and stuff like that. But um, so that's the more modern one and pretty much, I mean, they've refined the process and done you know, a little bit different, but that's really how they're made today and what we think of based on that silver. So um, some more things about it. They talked about how certain places will have mirrors and certain places won't. And Disney, if you go in their bathrooms, is lacking pretty much mirrors that people think. You know, you usually walk over to the uh, sink and there's a mirror. But they said that it was for two different reasons. Because you can't have security cameras and bathrooms obviously they said that it just helps a little bit with vandalism no one can break the mirror or draw on it or whatever so okay. they don't have as many mirrors but they also just said because of the high traffic nature of their bathrooms at the mm -hmm. theme parks yeah uh you know you'll have someone that they just sweated off all the, especially in the women's room. I can't speak to probably the men's as much, but, you know, we'll have someone who just sweated off all their makeup or they just ate an ice cream and they want to touch up their makeup. So people are coming out of the bathroom. They want to get back, they said, to the magic, you know, and uh, they just won't wash their hands and go. And these people are hogging the sinks because okay. of the mirrors. <laughs> so um, I've, I'm assuming this is the same as the guys. I don't know, but... Most and it's not just Disney. Disney probably started the trend, I'm sure. But most of the bathrooms, you'll notice there's one. I've, I've seen this at the airports too. One huge mirror, like when you enter right. and exit, yeah. pretty much. And so they said it really was more for traffic flow because that way people could use the sinks and leave if they didn't need to look in the mirror. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, is it? There's a whole book and study that I did on um, Disney and like, it just it's amazing what they think. And this is why they're Disney and why they're top notch. Um, they think of every little detail and things like that for traffic flow. And so another thing that they do um, is their trash cans are. I think it's only ten steps or 10 feet in between each trash can because they actually like timed how long it takes someone to unwrap an ice cream bar or a candy bar or whatever. Yeah. And um, if they don't have it right there, then someone might litter more. But, you know, if there's one right there, they'll toss it. So it's kind of interesting, all the studies that they've done on traffic control. But I didn't never knew mirrors yeah, as part no. of that. Yeah. Uh, so some of the weird, well, I don't want to get, well, I don't want to get to the weird things yet because I kind of want to go, since like all goes into each other, but um, mirrors have shown up a lot, definitely, in uh, pop culture, in movies, in writing, in books, and different things. Um, so it's some of the, what are some of the ones that you can think of, like either movies or books or Mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> of course. I would think that's probably the the biggest one that people think of. I can't think of any other specific one, 
I mean, they're well. Okay, Alice in Wonderland would be another. Okay, yeah, that's on their list. Glass. Yes, exactly. So Lewis's Carol, uh, Lewis Carroll's eighteen seventy one book through the Looking Glass has one of the most beloved magical mirrors in modern literature, and in there, that's one of the ones that's kind of I think divided because it's a it's a neat world and a fun world behind mm-hmm. it, but then there are some scary things behind it too. Yeah, but you know, it's not totally all bad. No. It's just different. It's opposite, right? (laughs) So some of the others that they listed, um, the novel The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde revolves around a magical mirror that has the form of a picture that reflects only the true aged visage of the forever young protagonist. So a series of Harry Potter books. (laughs) They definitely have several magical mirror devices. They do, yeah. Numerous tabletop RPG games have rule sets that enable mirrors to be used for magical effects. So a lot of these are leaning towards more spells and that otherworldly, wizardly, occult, things like that. So, But once again, there's some fun ones too. J.R.R. Tolkien's 1954 epic fantasy, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, features magical mirror in the form of the small pool of water. So that would kind of go back to the original thinking uh william shakespeare's 1595 stage play richard ii popularized the myth that breaking a mirror can bring misfortune okay so talking about that the breaking of the mirror um we tend to hear i think seven years bad luck right that's like the main thing that we hear so that was based on a roman uh thought and the romans back then thought that your soul regenerated after seven years so it didn't go away but that every seven years you had a different soul basically okay um, or you know just reformed same yeah. soul but it kind of reformed so if you um broke the mirror that soul is now corrupted yeah corrupted broken. okay so it won't regenerate again for its seven years hmm. so that's kind of where that came from um dracula in 1897, the uh, novel Dracula by Bram Stoker, the modern fiction has adopted the myth that mirrors do not cast reflections of vampires. Yeah. And I know there's one other thing that's not supposed to be reflected in, in the mirrors, but once again, it goes all back to that souls. And it's all about the reason that the vampires are not reflected is supposedly they don't have a soul. soul yeah. That and, makes a lot of sense. I didn't really think about it through, but yeah, okay. Yeah, so everything led back to that theme of souls, no matter what it was based on, if it was fictional, if it was real, you know, what culture it was. That was so that was very interesting. So there are a lot more references to, um, to uh, different, you know, um, novels and things like that. But what I kind of want to get into, so getting into the creepiness, uh, Spooky time. Okay, so what I'm going to talk about is um, Black Mirrors. and Not the Netflix show? <laughs> no, no, not the Netflix show. Um, so Black Mirrors, I guess, have been popular for a while. And at these, we, we have a town called Casadega near us. And it's all kind of spiritualists and fortune New tellers. Age, yeah. And yeah, and all that. And... So there's also a lot of conventions just around the world, obviously, with that, that attract all the people. And, um, you know, they sell their wares there. And so one thing they tout is this black uh, black mirror, dark mirror, and that um, 
basically it's the modern version of the crystal ball okay so you can conjure up people and see things in it if you do it the right way and all that so this um it's such a cool website i with all of our weirdness and unboxing the bazaar our family business and all you would think i would have um come across this before but i have not and it's um it's, you know it's so bad that i did not write it down uh week i thought i'd written it down it's like week of the weird um dot com and it's it is all about these just oddities and stuff mm-hmm. things that you would kind of think about um Ripley's believe it or not and all but because of their business uh they acquire a lot of artifacts you know not because they go out looking for them but people just kind of dump them off on them so because they acquired so many artifacts they decided to make this traveling museum of um, oddities and the occult basically and they go around with their you know they'll pack up not necessarily all the things all the time they'll pick things to pack up but um very interesting story that came in um because they were they came upon a dark mirror that was given to them and they take it around and they tell the history first to you know basically say it's up to your own risk if you look in it and everything but it basically how they acquired it was um there was this lady whose mother decided that she was going to go to one of these expos and it was just you know lined with stuff to buy and she decided that she'd buy this black mirror and that she would see what she could do to conjure things up and I guess she really was into black magic and the occult because um she, they called it let me see if I have it in the notes here oh, it's, I don't know if this is right pronunciation because i'm not into the occult at all but scrying s-c-r-y-i-n-g i think that's it yeah. okay so basically conjuring up things right you know in that mirror and um uh, so this lady had realized that her mom became more withdrawn from the family was just not herself she was answering the phone she wasn't doing anything and she was like scared all the time and this and that and so eventually she kind of attributed it maybe to the mirror but didn't fully attribute that her mom was kind of going crazy or whatever this way because of the mirror but one day she was finally like i've got to go to her house and the mirror was packed away deep in a closet with a black veil over it and um I guess the daughter asked about why it was hidden and you know like that and she said it's it's evil so um she she removed it from the house yeah and it ended up with this this guy in his museum and he said you know he took it home didn't think anything of it he just kind of put it um out with his other oddities and he said that most of the things he gets he's you know he's tells um he he's told the story that's haunted and all but it never makes an appearance for him so he had this painting and you know it just doesn't doesn't work for him you know and he said but a lot of things you know things come out at night or they're they're uh mischievous and they only want to show off to people you know certain mm-hmm, people sure. or whatever so they like the entertainment he, yeah so you know he just kind of brushes it off and he leaves the leaves it there i think he even packed it away for a while but he decided that you know he'd pull it out and take it to one of these expos or wherever he was invited to bring his museum to and so he told the whole history about it and um most of the people were like 
I'm not touching that thing. No way. I'm not looking at that thing. And this one lady said, uh, yeah, and she picked it up and she stumbled backwards and just like, I guess, fear gripped her face and she let out like a scream or something like that. And they asked her, what'd she see? And she said she saw herself as a rotting corpse. And so then there were a lot of... um, Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Cult. So I don't have the website, but that's what it's called. Um, So he said that there were very similar, everyone that would pick this up that didn't hear like the last person would see very similar things. Um, And they would all be based on them or like distortions of them or weird things of them. But then (laughs) then one person did say one time they saw something over their shoulder and stuff. But um so, you know, it was creepy enough for her to see her corpse. Um and this is this was her actual quote. I saw my own decomposing corpse looking back at me. That's a dark mirror. I should not have done that. I need to go say a prayer. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it's like, yeah, he's still, he's like, well, you know, when these people are seeing that and this and that, but he said, I guess we had to redo our disclaimer. <laughs> and um, so here it goes back to reports of strange visions, warping faces, general sense of dread were pouring in. The uh, There was a lady who actually, I guess, put her hand on the mirror and her handprint stayed there no matter what she did to wipe it off would not come off until she threatened the mirror that she was going to break it and then it disappeared <laughs> but they said the problem was it got more violent oh okay it didn't physically per se do anything to anyone but um there were some cases where finally i didn't write them all down but one of them was a lady looked into it. She didn't see anything, but all of a sudden it felt like her mouth was filling up with blood and tasted like blood. Ooh. So they oh, said that no. it started to like get started manifesting in physical ways instead of just scary visions. So they took it back and um, they kept it in their living room for a while with the other things. But then they said all of a sudden that haunted painting really did become haunted and other things so they were they said the bad apple spoiled the bunch yeah so they packed it away and put this veil on and uh they didn't say uh, never to be seen again they'll they'll take it you know some things but they really did believe it was creepy and evil as well anyway so they actually entitled that as like the scariest mirror story yeah you know, that's a very good yeah and it, they had pictures of it so when i was going through his blog okay. and like trying to research and write down all these things i'm like an i don't want to look yeah, at it to <laughs> i know i was like trying to go really fast past these pictures because i'm like am i gonna see something creepy in the pictures <laughs> so that was yeah that was a little that was a little weird to me so anyway but uh so celebrating i guess it depends if you are not afraid of mirrors then go ahead and look at yourself all you want in the mirror but affirm yourself so write down some great things to say to yourself in the mirror every morning um if you don't like mirrors then keep them covered up or you're fasting <laughs> you know you don't need the mirror if you're just reaffirming what you know to be true about yourself yeah. so anyway so this is wrapping up part a of a two-part episode for the beginning part to july 
Um, part B, it came out the same day as today. So uh, you can go ahead and continue on. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for joining us in our hop through these silly and strange celebrations. We'll be back again in two weeks with another assortment of holidays to inspire new traditions. You can follow us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny on Facebook and Instagram, or Don't Tell the EAS1 on Twitter. And for emails, you can use Don't Tell the Easter Bunny at gmail.com. See, See you, you next time. time.